Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. Who's been loving our series, Rules for the Road? How, how good has it been? It's been so practical with a lot of help. So we've been looking uh, at, at, a, at a bunch of different rules, a bunch of different signs that we need to follow uh, when we're driving but, um, and using them though in a way that will help us in our personal life, in, in our faith walk. Uh, because in the words of the great theologians, Rascal Flats, life is a highway and I want to ride it all night long. And, uh, and so, so throughout life, there's a whole bunch of different turns we can make. There's a bunch of directions that we can go, uh, but it's not always easy and it's not always straightforward as to which direction we should go. And while, you know, we, we can turn all these bunch of different ways, uh, a certain direction or a certain way that uh, we could go might not necessarily be beneficial to us. And it might actually not be going down the direction that God has called us to go down. And uh, so this morning we're going to be looking at the sign, wrong way, go back. So we'll say, wrong way, go back. And uh, so this is actually going to be on about sort of how God disciplines us, how God corrects us. And when we hear that, we can go, like, it's not really a word that we necessarily like to hear. Um, but, but the thing is, God, God actually does this in love, and I'm going to explain a bit about actually why this is important, why this is an important thing, and why uh, we have kind of got a bit of a, a warped view around this. And so, yeah, we're going to be looking at wrong way, go back. So I hope that no one has really ever had a moment where this has actually happened to them on the road. It's generally on the freeway when you take an exit going the wrong way or something like that, and it will say wrong way, go back. Um, but there are quite often, uh, there's decisions that we can make or something that we can do where then afterwards we think, oh, I wish I didn't do that. Uh, I should have gone the other way. And one of these happened uh, to, to me quite recently. I made one of, one of these uh, wrong way, go back decisions a few weeks ago. And this was a Tuesday morning. And usually on Tuesday mornings, uh, myself and a few others here, we gather here um, during the day uh, for Lifehouse College. And uh, the only thing was it was holidays, so we didn't have that. But as a cohort, we decided, hey, let's, let's gather together on this Tuesday morning so we can do our weekly quizzes uh, because we hadn't really done them yet. We hadn't really done many yet. And so we're like, all right, cool. Let's go. We'll gather in. We'll smash out the rest of our quizzes uh, for at least like, you know, one subject and get them all done so we don't have to worry about them. And so I'm at home getting ready. Uh, Mitchell, he, he leaves because uh, I live with Mitchell and a couple of other boys. And so he leaves and he goes like, all right, I'll catch you soon. I'm like, yep, no worries. So he heads out the door. I'm finishing getting ready. And about 10 minutes later, then I, then I head off. And so from our house, getting onto one of, one of the main roads, there's a couple of different ways you can take. So choice A, you can go straight ahead and then you come to the main road where there is a stop sign and then you can get into the main road. And then there's a couple of other ways which are pretty much the same distance, except they're a bit windier. Uh, they take a, you know, it's a bit windier, a bit like yeah, zigzaggy. And, um, and so, but there's no stop sign. In fact, there's actually no sign. There's no give way. There's no anything. It's almost like that's just no man's land. Like there's no rules there. Do whatever. And so I was like, no, I'll, I'll, just, go the, I'll just go like the normal way, uh, the straight way. So I drive down. I'm coming up to the intersection. 
Um, and it's quite an open corner, right? It's quite an open corner. So I'm looking right, looking left. I'm seeing that there's no cars there. But I hit the brakes. I start to slow down, have another final check because all good drivers do that. Always double check. Um, and so I look right. I'm like, okay, there's no cars coming that way. That's the main way I need to look at. And by this stage, my car is just crawling along. I haven't really come to a stop, but I'm not really going that, you know, I'm not going fast at all. And I look left, see that there's no cars coming. So I'm like, cool, hit the accelerator. And I start pulling out. And then straight away, I noticed that there was a cop car 30 meters down the road. And so I'm like, bummer. I'm like, I'm like, please God, can you just make them blind temporarily so they just like miss that? And so, like, and so I drive and I pass them. And as soon as I pass them, the light's gone. I'm like, okay, all right, no, whatever, that's my bad. Okay, so I pull over, uh, two officers there and they just come out. Um, and yeah, they're like, did you uh, know that that was a stop sign there? I'm like, yeah, I know. And uh, did you know uh, that it's an offence to not stop? I'm like, yeah, and no, I'm sorry. So uh, wh why, did, why didn't you come to a complete stop? Sorry, I actually don't know. I was just so open, saw that there was no cars, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I should have shouldn't have done that. So like, can I, uh, can I have your licence? So I'm like, yeah, yep, no worries. Pull out my licence, and he's like, all right, I'll, I won't be long. And I've been in this situation before, right? Like, not that I've sped. I haven't, I've never actually had anything against my record, a clean record, but I have been pulled over before with asked for license. And I know that it usually only takes a couple of minutes. It's not long. Except this time, he's taking at least five minutes. And so now I'm wondering what the heck is going on. And so he eventually comes back and he looks down at uh, the license, looks back at me and he's like, do you still live at, uh, at this address? Because on my... I moved, right? So I moved. So on, on the front, it has my uh, address for Mount Barker. So I was like, do you still live at this uh, Mount Barker address? I'm like, no, no, the, it's, my new address is on the back. I've got the sticker in the mail, so I'll put it on the back. He flips it over, and he's like, just nods. Again, looks at it, looks at me, looks back at it. Like, so is there anyone else living with you at uh, this address here in Murray Bridge? And I'm like, what, what? And in my mind, I'm like, what are you going to do? Find me for, for having a housemate? Like, like what, what is this? And so, I'm like, of course, I don't say that to him because I mean, that, that wouldn't end well. But so like, I say, like, yeah, yeah, I live with a couple of mates there. And he's like, yeah, I just pulled on over about 10 minutes ago. And then hands me back the license. And so I check my phone. He pulls off and I check my phone and there's a message from Mitchell. Hey, bro, there's a police car out on the road. Make sure you come to a complete stop. So I messaged him back, up oh, too late. <laughs> so we ro rock up to church, we have a good laugh about it. Pretty, pretty, pretty funny story. Um, but then last week we got in the mail, so we, both of us didn't get fines, we just got a warning, hallelujah. Um, but we got in the mail, um, so like the, the notice of infringement or whatever it's called, and uh, we can say that it is officially seven minutes apart. Mitchell and I were seven minutes apart from getting pulled over and doing the exact same thing. So what do we do? We highlight the times and stick them on our fridge. And so now at home, there's two infringement notices on the fridge saying, one, Mitchell Austin, nine o'clock, and then Jacob Golash, 9.07, for doing the exact same thing. And in my mind, I was like, ah, oh, I should have gone the other way. Should have gone the other way. But hey, so, so this morning we're gonna be looking at two passages. 
so, so the first is a scripture in Hebrews 12, and then we're going to look in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, which is part of King David's life and draw out some things that we can apply to our, la- our, our life. So I can have the Hebrew scripture on the screen. So in Hebrews 12, uh, verse 5 to 7, and then going on to verses 10 and 11, this is what it says. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained with it, trained by. Why don't you pray with me? Holy Spirit. We just pray that this morning, that that these words are, are yours, God, that we open ourselves to hear from you, God. We thank you, God, that you love us and care about us so much that you do correct us. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray that this morning that we will be hearing from you, receiving something from you, God. And I just pray for, for two things, God. One, that we will have a new understanding of what it means to be corrected by you, to be disciplined by you. And secondly, God, I just pray that you challenge... Um, Challenge us in different areas of our lives where we can, where we actually are going the wrong way, where we need to turn back and go the way that you have called us to go. So, Holy Spirit, this is your moment. This is your time. Do uh, use this time as you will. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So, who here likes the word discipline? Exactly. There's like two people. I'm surprised there's even two. Right, like no, no, no one really likes the word discipline. It, it makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us kind of feel a bit orkies. It's like, uh, uh, I don't want it. Because it brings back, generally it brings back uh, sort of negative memories or it brings back for us like a, a negative moment. And for me, when I hear the word discipline, I think of the wooden spoon. Does anyone know what I'm talking about when I say the wooden spoon? AKA when you are young and you do something stupid. Right now, not that not that I really got the wooden spoon that much. That was more my sister's. My sister's probably got it more than me. She's nodding right there. <laughs> um, but but it's so easy to think of the negatives when it comes to the word discipline, and we don't always like to talk about it because we think of pain and pain and, and hardship, and these negatives come to mind. But for in the culture that this was written in, the whole principle and idea. Oh, there's one. Come on. That's number one for the morning. So this whole idea of discipline and correction was considered incredibly valuable. It was considered incredibly valuable for that culture. Why? Because they knew that if they were disciplined, they knew if, that, if they were corrected by someone, like a parent or, or a father figure or, or someone like that, that they knew that they were loved by them. That they knew that they, they, they actually were loved so much by that person that they didn't want to see them make those same mistakes or go down that way, and so they corrected them. Now, I'm not saying that everything that, you know, every bad thing that happens to us is God's correction. I'm not saying that. But God can use every situation to, to teach us something more about himself, to teach us more about um, us. And like that verse says in Hebrews, that there will be a peaceful harvest of righteousness by those who are trained by it. So we can receive so much from from correction. So living, living in, in a Western culture of this day and age, there is a, a different view 
on this idea of correction and discipline. And there's this thing called critical theory. Critical theory. So Pastor Josh has uh, preached about this a, a couple of times and it's very prevalent in our culture, in our Western culture nowadays. And you may have not necessarily heard of that term, but you've probably heard of a lot of the movements and you've probably heard of a lot of things that have come from it. A common saying uh, that has sort of stemmed from this idea is that your truth may not necessarily be my truth. Like that can be true for you, but for, for me, uh, nah, I, I, I'm not taking that as truth. That, that's not true for me. And so critical theory has this mindset that power, uh, that there is limited power and that when someone gains power, they have stolen it from someone else. They've generally stolen it from someone uh, who, who is weaker than that person. So because our, our Western culture is so, uh, you know, equality and so everyone has to have equal rights, everyone has to have equal like, access to things and equal amount of food, equal amount of money, and it's all about being on the same level. As soon as there's, there's anyone now who, who is like, has a bit more authority or a bit more power, whatever, they say that is bad. And it's actually gotten to the point now where even in, in our schools, like teachers are legally not allowed to say no. Teachers are legally not allowed to bring correction to, the, to their students because of this mindset of power is bad and you know, correction means power and, and power is bad. And so, and so it's gotten to this point. So we, we as, a, as a Western culture, have this very warped view and this very twisted perspective on what discipline is and, and actually what correction is and, and why it is actually needed, why it is important and why actually God corrects us. And when I was researching uh, for, for this message, I came upon this quote from one of the commentaries I was reading. Um, that was from, from Hebrews. If we can get that on the screen. And, and this is what it says. It says, It is because people usually do not recognize, naturally recognize the need for discipline that they lose courage when punished or corrected. They cannot see the long-term benefits nor the concern of God over them. And I thought, I thought, I thought this was like hit the nail on the head. It's because so easily we don't actually see the benefit, the long-term benefits that correction and discipline brings because we're in the moment and we can be so um, short-sighted that we don't actually think about the good that will come out of it. So within our culture, yeah, there, there's, this, there's this twisted per- perception about discipline. But when we look into the, uh, the meaning of, that, of the word discipline written in the original language from this passage, we actually see that it is incredibly beneficial. So in the original language, discipline is the Greek word paideia. Someone say paideia. Paideia. And paideia means instruction that trains someone to reach full development. Instruction that trains someone to reach full development. So paideia has this uh, idea of reaching full maturity through correction and instruction. See, there's a purpose to it. There's always a purpose to it, and there's a maturity that comes from it. And there's benefits that come from it. And so in the times when we make a wrong turn, God actually corrects us so that we may reach maturity, so that we may become more mature Christians, so that we can actually become more like Him. And one of these times is seen in, in Scripture, is in, in the life of King David. And in uh, 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, now this is a big section, so uh, we're just going to read the first part of chapter 11, and then I'm going to kind of 
there's the second one. And then we're going to paraphrase the rest of it. So in 2 Samuel verses 11, uh, sorry, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. I want you to remember that. Now, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messages to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. And so David, now knowing that uh, the, this woman Bathsheba is pregnant, he's afraid for his life, all right, because he's guilty. Because under, under the laws, even though he's king, he's actually guilty of committing a crime that where he will die. You know, he, he's under the death penalty for committing adultery. And so he decides to try and cover it up. And so he, he invites um, her husband Uriah, and he's fighting in the battle that he sent someone else to go and fight. And so he, he gets... Um, Uriah to come back home and he's like, hey, how's the war going? How's the battle going? Give me an update. And uh, basically kind of gives him all these gifts, kind of tries to kind of groom him and butter him up and actually then tells him, hey, well, why don't you go home? Like spend the, spend the night with your wife, spend your night at home um, and then you can go to, to, back, to, back to the battle. But Uriah doesn't really, really, you know, want, want to do that. And it's because, like, David has this intention, like, even though that may sound nice of David, his intentions weren't all that pure because he wanted to make it look like, you know, Uriah goes back home, spends the night home, it'll look like, you know, that he slept with his wife, and then, then uh, the, the baby that she has conceived, everyone will just think it's his, and no one will think that it's mine. And so that plan doesn't work um, because Uriah stayed and, and slept at the place where David's servants all slept. And so instead, David tries a different approach and, and he tries to get Uriah drunk where he's then going to be more suggestible and more, you know, open to being swayed. And so he gets him drunk and then sent, tries again to send him off, but Uriah doesn't move. And so David goes to the extreme and he actually then writes a letter uh, to his army officer and says, put Uriah on the front line of the battle where the fighting is fiercest uh, so that he will die. And he actually even just to make it sweeter, he actually gives that letter to Uriah to send back. And so he, he, then David basically ends up uh, killing, is responsible for the death of Uriah. And so then, um, yeah, so then it goes on, and Uriah is dead. So David has, you know, committed adultery. He's gotten someone drunk, and, and then as well, he's, he's responsible for, for someone dying who didn't actually have to. And then it says this in verse 26 and 27. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. At the time of, after, after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. So you see, David went in a direction that he was never meant to go in. And because he went down that direction and kept on going, not only did he put himself in, in danger, he actually put those around him in danger. And, that can, and that's what can happen when we don't go the direction that God has actually called us to go down. We can actually put ourselves and put those around us 
in danger. And God doesn't want to see us hurting ourselves. He doesn't want to see us hurting others. And so, and so he, in love, corrects us. He, in love, corrected David. And so there's, from this passage, from this scripture, there's three things that we can learn. So I've got three points I'm just going to go through. So the first one is wrong turns are easily made when we think we know best. Wrong turns are easily made when we think we know best. So my, my first time going house youth, even though it was called Nova back then, um, so I, I was living in Strathalbum. I was going to a church there, and so I just moved to SA. Moved to SA from Victoria. And so I got invited by some friends who I made at, at this church, and they invited me to come to youth. And uh, so I was like, all right, yeah, I'll go. And so I'm driving down in my little 98 Toyota Corolla, and um, I'm driving, I'm heading towards Callington to make it to the freeway because I don't, I don't know where to go. This is a completely new region for me. I have no idea where I'm going, but I have it in the maps on my phone. And so I'm heading towards Callington and I am just got to, the, to you know, the bridge, the, over, the freeway overpass and my phone says make a right in 300 metres, but I see that there's another right here in 100 metres and I read on the sign that you have to turn right on Murray Bridge and I kind of, my judgment was a bit clouded, and so I was like, well, do I go what, with what my phone says or do I go with what I feel? And I was just like trying to make a quick decision. And so I was like, no, you know what? I, I feel like my phone can sometimes bug out. And so I'm going to decide, like, I'm actually going to go this way. And so I chuck a right and I go a right that was straight away. And I'm on the freeway. I think, cool. And then I realized I'm heading towards Murray Bridge and then it curves around. And I start heading towards Adelaide. And I'm like, why did I turn that way? Right? Why, why did I turn that way? Why didn't I just you know, look, look at my phone? Why didn't I trust in the navigation that I had? And so because of that, I was then 30 minutes late to youth. Great first time. Um, and so looking at, looking at David, similar way looking at David, we know that throughout the Psalms and, and throughout uh, his life that was recorded in, in Samuel and Chronicles, we can actually see that David was a man who was constantly looking to God over every decision he made, over every emotion that he was feeling. He would communicate that to God. He would go to God in everything that he did, everything that he faced, every decision he had to make, no matter what it was, he would always be going to God. But this is a time where he actually doesn't do that. And like me, with thinking I knew better than my, the GPS on my phone, you know, David thought that he knew best. And we can see that right from verse 1. And then from, in, in verse 1, it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. You see, at, in, in the region of uh, that day, wars were fought, uh, not, weren't fought during the winter months because of the weather and everything like that. And so it's almost like they had a time out, you know. They would fight during summer, autumn, all those months, and then they would kind of like both have a time out during winter where they went back, and then the fighting would resume at spring. And so David, David as, as king, not only as king, but he was actually a great warrior. And so he should have gone out and led Israel into that battle. That was where he was meant to go. That was the direction he was meant to go in. They were the responsibilities that he had as king. And so he knew that he was meant to go out there, but instead he didn't. He stayed back and he gave that job to a guy named Joab, one of the 
commanders of his army. So he, David didn't go out to battle. He stayed in Jerusalem. And it's interesting because in the previous chapter, you know, we can actually see that this was a continuation, an example of a continuation of, of a fight. They had a timeout during spring because in chapter 11, we can actually see that, that, that Israel was fighting against the Ammonites. So they're having a bit of, bit of an arm wrestle. And again, Joab is the one who is out fighting this battle. But then it actually says like, you know, they're kind of struggling a bit, they're kind of fighting. But then David gets news, and as soon as David actually hears this, he gathers and musters the troops all together, and that then there is an overwhelming victory over the Ammonites and over all the other nations that they teamed up against, um, sorry, that they formed an alliance with. And so it's interesting, interesting to note that as soon as David actually did what he was meant to do, and he went in the direction that he was meant to do, that there was victory from that, that there was fruit from that. But then the moment, but then... As soon as um, winter came and then spring, he decided again, you know what, I did my part in like, you know, autumn and wherever time that was, so I'm just going to not go back. They've got it covered. I set them up well. I don't have to go because it, the battle's pretty much won. And so he left and he, wasn't, and he wasn't doing what he was meant to do. And I find that interesting because if he actually went down the direction that God had called him, that God had, had gave him um, to do, that he wouldn't have been in the situation to go down a wrong turn. He wouldn't have actually been put himself in that position where he could have made a wrong turn because he, he would have been going in the direction that God had called him to go. So I want to ask, like, what areas of our lives are, are we doing that to God? What areas of your life are you doing that to God where you know that he's leading you in one way, where you know he's calling you to, to, to take this turn? It might be in, in your finances or just with your kids or or is something else in your personal life, what areas are you, are you feeling led by God to go down, but you're thinking, nah, nah, I actually think I know better. I think I know better, and I think I know what direction I'm actually meant to be going down. Because it can be very easy to, you know, to not want to give up control. It can be very easy to, to think that we know best, you know, we know best for our situation, but God sees all, He's above all, he, He's through all in that. He actually looks at our lives and He says, I love you so much and I know the direction that I want you to go down. I know the way that I'm leading you because you don't have the foresight to see what is beyond you. So trust in my voice, trust in the direction that I am leading you. And He will always lead us in the right direction, even if it doesn't make sense. Even if it doesn't make sense, He'll always leave us, um, be leading us in the right direction. So wrong turns are easily made when we think we know best. How are we going? Is this, is this all right? Is this all right? Because I know, I'll just, even just be honest quickly, even in, in this, I know it's a big, I know it's a heavy topic. I know it's a, it can be a, almost a depressing topic. And I was kind of a bit nervous to share this, but I know like this is what God put on my heart. And I know that this is something that I believe that our, our church, our community needs to, needs to hear right now. And it might be, feel like a bit of a spiritual slap. It might like, you know, sting a little bit, but just know that God is actually doing this in love. That, that he doesn't bring correction w without love. It is always under the banner of love. So wrong turns are easily made when we think we know best. Second point, wrong turns are easily made when we're distracted. Wrong turns are easily made when we're distracted. So in, ver in, in verse 2, we can see that. It says, One evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a beautiful woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, right? David was distracted. He got distracted. And, 
and the distractions that he had aroused desires within him and then those desires influenced the decisions that he made. And so for, for David, it was, it was lust, but I don't know, maybe for you it might be a financial decision. You know, maybe God is actually saying, hey, there's, there's a church plant that we're about to do and I want you to sow this certain amount into it. But then we, 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 look, we you know, look at an ad and we're like, that is a really nice phone though. That is a really nice car though. I wouldn't mind you know, so, ha, buying something for myself. You know, it can be all, whatever area it is for you. I know that there is a direction that God is calling each and every one of, one of you to, that there is a, the way that he's leading you down, he's actually challenging, hey, I want you to do this. But then we can be so, just do, so distracted by the things around us, by the stresses of life, by the things that we've got going on, that we're actually like, oh, but I actually want to go this way. And we can get distracted and actually make a wrong turn. But because when, when we uh, remove move the things that easily d- distract us easily, we're able to focus more on the direction that God is leading us down. So sometimes we actually have to remove the distractions that are around us. We have to, you know, put ourselves in a position where we aren't surrounded by all these distractions so that we can actually focus on the direction that God is calling us down. And if David had, had been, you know, where, where he was meant to be, if he wasn't just, if he had been where he meant to be, he wouldn't have been distracted by these other desires. He wouldn't have been distracted. So we need to keep focused on where God is leading us and removing the distractions from our life. My third and final point, if I can have the band come up as well, is that three, wrong turns can always be made right. Wrong turns can always be made right. And this is why God corrects us when, when we turn down the wrong road. You know, th- this is why God corrects us. And it's to teach us something about himself. And it's to teach us something about ourselves as well. But it's always under the, the banner of love. It, it is always under the banner of love. Because correction without love is cruel. But correction with love brings about a change. And so God always wants to correct us in love because He wants to bring about a change within us. He wants us to bring, He wants a, a change to be brought about within us so that we can become more like God. But this can only happen if if we humble ourselves before God and accept His correction. And we see this in in two Samuel twelve. You know, David is confronted by by a prophet called Nathan, who who rebukes him for for everything that he had done. And after Nathan finishes. Um, confronting David, we read in verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. And so David confesses to God that, you know, hey, that, that, that he made a wrong turn. And by the end of the chapter, we can actually see that then David goes back out to the battle and, and leads his people. He leads his army to victory. And he ends up going and doing what he was called to in the first place. And this can sum us up as, as humans a bit. You know, we feel like God is calling us and, and leading us in, in a certain direction. We feel like going this one way, but we then end up making a wrong turn in, in you know, one way. And, and we're like, ah, like, why, why do I keep on doing this? And so we try and go back onto the right direction that God is calling us. And we keep on making these wrong turns. And we're just like, ah. 
we can be frustrated and we can be really annoyed at ourselves and things like that. And we can keep on asking, like, why can't I stay going in the right direction? And it, and it kind of um, reminds me of a bit, a bit of Mario Kart. Does anyone here know what Mario Kart? Anyone play Mario Kart? And, um, and, and there's it's a weird analogy, but bear with me. And there's this, this one road that I, I really hate. There's this one track. It's called Rainbow Road. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I hate Rainbow Road because it's, it's very quick. There's a lot of turns. There's a lot of ways you can fall off. There's a lot of times you can be going in the wrong direction. And um, so I can be racing on this track and fall off, you know, more than 10 times or I can start be constantly going in the wrong direction. And I'm like, why am I even playing this stupid game? You just want to punch the TV or something like that. And I mean, hey, Mario Kart can get very competitive. You know, and, and so, but whenever I lose um, in the game, whenever I'm going the wrong way or whenever I fall off the edge, there's this guy who's in a cloud. There's this cloud character. I actually can't remember his name. But there's this cloud character that always then puts you back on the right direction. So if you fall off the edge, he actually picks you back up and he puts you back in the, in the direction that you were meant to go. And if you go in the wrong way, he actually holds up a sign says, that says, wrong way, turn, turn around, wrong way, go back. So even though you can lose, you know, lose direction of the way that you're meant to go, you know, he's actually always putting you in the right direction. And for us, that is the Holy Spirit. You know, us, that is the Holy Spirit. And so even though we may have made the wrong turn for the hundredth time this week, even though, you know, we, we may feel like that we're falling off, off the edge and we're, and we're losing heart, that the Holy Spirit is actually there to help guide us and to go in the right direction. That even if we made a wrong turn, He's actually there holding up a sign. He's actually there whispering to us, no, no, wrong, wrong way. Why don't you come back this way? Why, why don't you come back this way? This is the way that you're meant to be going. Well, you can do it. It doesn't matter if you've done it. If you go the wrong way again, I'll always be here. I'll always be helping you go in the right direction. Come close to me. Come close to me. This is the way that you're meant to go. So even though God does discipline us, even though he does correct us, he does it because he loves us. He does it because he loves you. And he doesn't want, want to see us keep on hurting ourselves. He doesn't want to see us hurting those around us. He doesn't want to see us making those more mistakes, but instead He actually wants to, to see us reflect Him. He wants to see us become more like Him because it says that we are His children and, and He wants us, His children, to become more like Him. And, and, and if we can all just stand in this place, we're about to worship soon. We can have the, the rest of the full band come back up. So where we can know that God corrects us in love because of what Jesus did. See, it all always comes back to the cross. It always comes back to what Jesus did on the cross. Because humanity, like, like David, was going in the wrong direction. They were taking, they were taking all, the, all these wrong turns. But because Jesus came down from heaven, because he lived a perfect life, and yet he went to the cross where he died for our sins and resurrected three days later, because of the work that Jesus did, on, on that cross, we get set on the right path towards our eternal destination. Towards our eternal destination with God when we come to Him. When we actually come to Him and say, God, I need you to help me get back on, the, on, on this right direction. So if we can all clo close our eyes, I just want to open up this space where, where we can hear from God. Where we can just receive something.
And I just want to pray for those who maybe feel like that they've taken a wrong turn in, in a certain era of their life or maybe it's even a lot of errors in your life. You feel like you've taken a wrong turn. But if that's you and you just feel like you, you, you've just been going in the wrong direction, you've taken a wrong turn, but you want to come back, why don't you just, put, just raise, raise your hand in the air where I can, where I can see it and I'm just going to pray for everyone. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, great. Just gonna leave it, leave it a little longer, just to provide space. Just remember that God is not doing this to, to bait you or to bash you. He's actually doing it because he wants to get closer to you. you pray for me holy spirit we just thank you that you guide us we thank you god that it says that you says that you go before us that you have paved a paved a path before us that you are the light that lights our path so that we can see in the direction that we are going and god i just pray for this morning for anyone here or anyone watching online who feels like there's a certain area or areas in their in their life that they have taken a wrong turn god i just pray that this morning that you speak to them and that you give them direction, God, that they will just know that you don't correct us because you, you hate us. You correct us because you love us and you correct us because you want us to become closer to you. So God, right now in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us, God? Would you speak to us? Would you show us the direction that we are meant to be going through? Would you show us the, 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 the way that you are leading us, God, so that we can do that in a way that honors you, in a way that brings glory to you, God? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Well, hey, we're, we're going to worship soon. We're going we're to worship. And I just really believe that in this time of worship that the Holy Spirit is going to begin to speak into people, to begin to, to give direction, to begin to give encouragement. So even if you have made a wrong turn, to, the Holy Spirit is going to encourage you to continue to, to pursue God, to continue to chase after Him, to continue to follow after Him because He is a good Father. He, he is such a good God and He doesn't correct us because, you know, He wants to, he, He's cruel. He does it in love. He does it in love. He does it because He loves us. Because He is so good. Because He's so good. So, hey. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.